Hello, everyone, and welcome to Surveillance Report number 54, where we are dedicated to keeping you private and secure with the latest news. This report recaps some of the most notable events in the last week. This week is actually kind of lighter on news, but we do still have some data breaches. We do have a couple of huge stories about Proton and WhatsApp. Those are unrelated, by the way. And we do still have a number of political stories from around the world. So don't click away just yet. I am Nathan from The New Oil, who apparently does not know how to pronounce the names of foreign cities that I've known how to pronounce for years. Henry is away this week working to make the world a more private and secure place. Surveillance Report is listener-supported, and this week I want to remind you that TechLore has ProtonMail and ProtonVPN affiliate links. But Nate, you might say, why Proton? Didn't you just hear the news this week? We did, and we are going to get to that soon. Just hang on to that and bear with us. In the meantime, let's start with data breaches. Our first story, hackers leak the passwords for 500,000 Fortinet VPN accounts. Fortinet is an extremely popular enterprise VPN service that honestly seems like it gets compromised about every month. I feel like I read a lot of stories about Fortinet VPN issues. The attacker shared these records for free on a cyber criminal forum and says that the vulnerability allowing them to compromise the servers and get all these credentials has been patched, but that many of the credentials are probably still valid. The leak also contains 87,000 devices, according to a more recent article from ZDNet. I think the lesson here is when you get informed of a data breach and it says, please change your password, go ahead and change your password. Just err on the side of caution. Even if you got a strong, secure password, change it anyways. Our next data breach comes from MyRepublic, where customer data was compromised in a third-party security breach. MyRepublic is a mobile provider in East Asia. The breach affected nearly 80,000 customers in Singapore, and the data included ID card scans, residential addresses, utility bills, and names and mobile numbers of customers who ported existing numbers. I know we talk about this a lot. I'm not sure if Singapore is one of those places where you can get anonymous numbers. If that is an option where you live, definitely use that. And whether that's an option or not, we strongly encourage the use of voice over IP services to obscure your true SIM card number. Our next story comes from France, where a government visa website was hit by a cyber attack that exposed applicant personal details. Data included email addresses, first and last names, dates of birth, nationalities, and passport or ID card numbers. The number of individuals and the dates in which the impact occurred were not disclosed. The French were actually being very tight-lipped about this, which I guess makes sense. These like government data breaches are always tricky because the government has a vested interest in knowing this information about you, especially when you're doing something like traveling on a visa. The best advice I have to offer is to ask what information they actually need and also to obscure the stuff they don't like email addresses. You totally could have used a simple login email address or a non-addy, something like that to obscure that information. Our next data breach is one of those hypothetical ones. Microsoft fixed a bug that let a attackers take over Azure containers. For those who don't know, most sites nowadays are actually shared virtual machines on a server. Personally, I don't think this is necessarily a bad thing. I do not get enough traffic to justify dedicating an entire server. Most of it would sit there unused, not only in terms of storage space, but also in bandwidth. So instead, the server that I rent from my hosting provider is shared with other websites. This is okay as long as the container is secure. This was not the case with Microsoft Azure. Azure Container Software software allowed an attacker to take over other containers belonging to other sites and services and access their data. Fortunately, this has been fixed and there is no sign that any data was accessed, but of course we always say to err on the side of a caution and assume that it was accessed. Our next story is an update. A few weeks ago, we talked about a four gigabyte data breach on Marketo that was alleged to have been gathered from Fujitsu. It turns out that this data is not from Fujitsu, but it did come from a third party company that they work with in Japan, a partner of theirs. Marketo has also confirmed this change. They have changed the data breach to say that it no longer came from Fujitsu, but came from the Japanese manufacturing giant Torre Industries, who at this time has not yet responded for comment. 
And our last data breach, this one's a little fun. McDonald's leaked the passwords for Monopoly VIP databases to winners. This happened in the UK. For those who don't know, McDonald's usually every year runs a Monopoly game where when you buy things from McDonald's, you get a little card, I guess, that you can peel off the drink and it has spots from Monopoly like Boardwalk and Reading Railroad and Pennsylvania Avenue and all these kind of, um, I don't know if that's actually one. I haven't played Monopoly in a long time. I think 2009 was the last time I played it. Anyways, they played this game and the goal is if you match up enough matching spaces then you win prizes and these can range from free drinks to i think there's like it's like a million dollar prize or something so what happened was people who won were sent an email and some of those emails contained login details for the server <laughs> fortunately there was no actual customer data leaked now the good news is many of the databases were appropriately firewalled off and even with these login credentials you could not access them but not all of them were and the ones that were allowed people to see winning codes which meant an unethical person could have gone in and claimed prizes without actually having won them and i guess there's worse things to cheat at my question is is there actually a park place code personal conspiracy theory i am convinced that there is no actual park place and that they just keep making you come back because boardwalk is dime a dozen and I think that's just their trick to make you keep coming back and hoping that you're gonna win Park Place. That will do it for our data breaches this week. Let's move into companies. And we're gonna start with Amazon. Amazon's cashierless technology is coming to a Whole Foods near you. In the past, we've talked about how Amazon has been rolling out several new technologies. This is kind of the culmination of all of them. The first one is called Just Walk Out, which they have already been implementing in their convenience stores that are called Amazon Go. It uses cameras and sensors to figure out what people are taking off the shelves, and then people just get billed for it without having to go through the register. The second technology is called Amazon One, which we've definitely talked about before. It's a palm print based technology, which is already deployed in certain Whole Foods stores, I believe in Seattle. The idea is Amazon is now combining these and rolling them to all Whole Foods stores. The good news is at this point in time, these technologies are still optional. You can still choose to pay via a QR code in the app, or you can add a card to your Amazon account. I guess you also don't have to use just walk out. You could actually go to a cash register, but all those cameras are going to be there anyways. So I know we're not real big fans of Amazon, around here, I would definitely say that's one more reason to stop using Whole Foods. Our next story comes from Facebook. In my opinion, this isn't really a big story, but it did go viral and there was a lot of misinformation that went out. So I think it's important that we address it. Recently, a story went out from ProPublica that says that WhatsApp is undermining user privacy and that they are decrypting messages. That's not entirely wrong, but it's also not entirely true. Here's what's happening. WhatsApp messages are still end-to-end -end encrypted, allegedly based on the Signal protocol. I don't know if that's true for the record, but that's what I've heard from multiple people. WhatsApp messages are still end-to-end -end encrypted. The difference is it used to be that when you reported a message for abuse, only that message got sent to a moderator. With the new changes, that message plus the four messages preceding it will be submitted. That way the moderator has a little bit more context to work with and figure out what's going on. Once again, we do not encourage WhatsApp. We think there are so many better options out there. Our second WhatsApp story is also not really a big thing in my opinion, but again, it made the rounds and so it's worth talking about. WhatsApp is adding encrypted backups. That's pretty much the entire story. Previously, when you made a backup of your WhatsApp chats, the chats were not encrypted, which meant wherever you were backing them up, usually iCloud or Google Drive or whatever, they were just sitting there wide open. Now they will continue to be encrypted even in your cloud backup. Again, WhatsApp is still not great. We don't recommend it. And our final Facebook story, Facebook has debuted its Ray-Ban Stories smart sunglasses. We talked before about how Facebook was planning to roll these out. I honestly didn't expect them to show up this fast, but here they are. They've got two five megapixel cameras, which allow you 
you to do 3D stuff because they're on each side. They have in-frame speakers for music and phone calls. I actually have questions about that. Does that mean other people can hear your phone calls? The sunglasses do need to be linked to a mobile device to allow full functionality. However, you can store, quote, hundreds of photos or dozens of videos, unquote, locally in the device before they have to be transferred. And they can be transferred via Facebook's new View app. There was one good piece of privacy news. It says an onboard white LED will glow to indicate the people around the wearer that a video is being recorded. They also start at a surprisingly low price point for Ray-Bans, which is $300. Once again, I don't think we're encouraging anyone to go out and buy these, but here they are. They're a thing. They're out now, and beware of that. Now let's get to the big Proton story of the week. Proton Mail logged the IP address of a French activist after they were ordered to by Swiss authorities. Here's what happened here. There was an activist in France. Proton Mail says a climate activist. The article I read said that they were basically squatting in an abandoned apartment building in order to protest gentrification and other poverty class issues. I mean, you can be both. There's certainly nothing to keep you from being an activist in multiple areas. But anyways, I'm, I'm not sure what kind of activist they were. Point is, they were an activist. For whatever reason, the French government decided that this was a huge deal on par with drug trafficking and organized crime. Therefore, they got Europol involved, who is the International European Police Force, who is only supposed to get involved with major cases like drug trafficking and organized crime. Europol, for some reason, chose to go ahead and take this case on, and they got in touch with Switzerland, who also agreed to go ahead and take this case on, and ordered ProtonMail to log this user's IP address and then turn it over. Now, this understandably made a lot of people upset. ProtonMail previously said on their website that they do not log user IP addresses by default. We're going to come back to that in a second. However, there's a few things we have to understand. First of all, Proton is a company. They are required by law to obey laws or else they become criminals. And I don't know if you guys know this, but like when a company is a criminal, look at Bulletproof VPNs, for example. We've talked about those on the show before. Those are VPNs who proudly advertise that they will not pay attention to any law enforcement requests. They get shut down real quick because they primarily service criminals. So if Proton wants to continue to function, they have to obey laws. Now, it's also worth noting, in my opinion, Proton Mail's transparency report says that they have pushed back on hundreds of orders over the years. Have they won them all? No, but they pushed back on many of them. They also said in their statement that this order was not one they were allowed to appeal. They didn't have a choice. They had to obey it. To be fair, I think Proton could have done a better job of explaining their privacy policy because when they say they don't log metadata by default, personally, I'm the kind of person that I understand the by default is there. A lot of people didn't. They took it at face value and said Proton doesn't log metadata and therefore they felt very betrayed by this. So where does this leave us? As I said at the top, I still think Proton is a good service. They did not have any user content. They did not have any user data. Are they perfect? Of course not. But I think it's also important to remember that email is not perfect. So I think the lesson here is to remember that we need to layer our defenses. Yes, it's good to use encrypted email providers like Proton and Tutanota and Ctemplar, but it's also important not to expect those singular services to completely protect us by default. Because again, they're companies and they have to respond to lawful orders. Proton could not have said no to the Swiss government because they are a Swiss company. So in that case, we should have been using things like the Tor address or VPNs, even if not Proton VPN, you know, Molvad or IVPN, someone reputable. I'm not trying to sound like I'm blaming the activists here. They were doing their best. We all make mistakes and I totally do not put the blame on them. Personally, I blame the French government. Again, Europol is only supposed to be used for organized crime and terrorism. Why an activist, a climate change activist squatting in an apartment building warranted Europol and international cooperation is completely beyond me. I think we should be mad at the French government and Europol and the Swiss. I don't think we should be mad at ProtonMail. 
So, just to sum up, going back to what I said earlier, yes, that's why I intentionally said Proton is the affiliate link this week. Proton Mill is still a great service. They're still secure, as secure as email can be, and they didn't have any user data initially. They were forced to record that user data and start collecting it. They didn't have it on demand. No encrypted email provider is perfect. You should not expect them to solve all your problems. You need to layer your strategies. And while we were on the topic of Proton Mail, this week, Sir Tim Berners-Lee joined the Proton Advisory Board. Sir Berners-Lee is considered the inventor of the World Wide Web. He then went on to found the World Wide Web Consortium and the World Wide Web Foundation. He is definitely an advocate for the ethical internet. Will Proton listen to him? Hopefully, because I'm sure he's got some good ideas and I'm sure he can really help them up their game. Let's move into research. Our first story, malware has been found pre-installed in classic push-button phones sold in Russia. There was a security researcher who goes by Valdik SS. He examined five low-budget dumb phones from Russia and found that four of them contained malware that would subscribe users to paid subscriptions and intercept SMS messages to avoid detection. They also connected to a server upon activation, even if there was no browser installed. Only the fifth phone was totally clean. The article states that this is an increasingly common trend, that more and more dumb phones are being found with malware. I know I I've seen a lot of people suggest the idea of just getting rid of your smartphone and switching to a dumb phone. Personally, I don't like that idea because I think the phone itself is going to track you no matter what. I would rather have a phone with signal and a VPN that's tracking me than a phone with SMS and no VPN that's tracking me. I think you're just giving over less data or at least you're able to secure that data a little better. I guess if you're saying I'm gonna stop using phones but I'm gonna have a dumb phone as like a backup for emergencies or whatever, I guess that's a different thing. But if we're just talking daily use like most people, I still think a smartphone is the way to go. If you decide to go with the classic push button phone method, be aware that there are still risks. It's not bulletproof. This next bit of research is another one of those things that kind of went over my head. So I'm gonna try my best to explain this. The title says, HA proxy vulnerability enables HTTP request smuggling attacks. A lot of servers use what's called a reverse proxy. And the main purpose of the proxy is, from what I understand, mainly not to let attackers know what server architecture you're using because that's one less attack service. The problem is that one reverse proxy can often be responsible for multiple servers that it is protecting. As such, it is possible for attackers to basically interfere with other requests coming through that server and bleed over and take over some of the other servers that are behind it. It appears that this vulnerability applied specifically to HA proxy, which again is a type of reverse proxy, and has since been fixed. There are new versions starting with 2.0.25, which adds size checks for the name and value lengths, which is how this was conducted. Again, this kind of went over my head. I think the important takeaway here for people who don't host their own servers or reverse proxies or anything is just to know that the internet is just, you know, that little bit safer now thanks to the work of people like this. And with that, we're going to move into politics. We're going to start off with Project Maven, which is a Department of Defense project that helps the military use AI to identify images that were captured from drones. Google dropped out of this program back in 2018 because of staff protests. And now it seems that Amazon and Microsoft have quietly picked up the mantle. That's kind of really the entire gist of the story. You can feel free to read more about it, about the history of the project and when Google got involved and all this stuff and what the project does. To me, I think the most interesting part was the fact that Google actually did quit due to staff pressure. Protesting and letting people know and raising awareness does actually work sometimes. 
That seems like a good note to segue into our next story, how the NYPD is using post 9-11 tools on everyday New Yorkers. The entire gist of this article is basically that in recent years, many of the tools that were originally designed to stop terrorism are now being implemented in the daily general crime stopping lives of the NYPD, including quote, facial recognition software, license plate readers, or mobile x-ray vans that can see through car doors, unquote. That's that mission creep that we're always talking about, how when a new technology gets rolled out that it very rarely stays only in the place that it's originally rolled out and usually gets expanded to be used for other things. My favorite piece of this is the Deputy Commissioner for the Police Department's Intelligence and Counterterrorism Bureau, John Miller. He said, it's what everybody would want us to be doing instead of just saying, well, those were just for counterterrorism. So if it's not a bombing, we're not going to use them. Sorry, you got mugged. I understand where he's coming from, but my argument is kind of the reverse of nothing to hide. Well, if everybody would be okay with this, why don't you be more transparent and put it to a public vote? If you know everybody would agree with this, you got nothing to worry about if everybody wants it. The article does have some good news. They said that last year, the Post Act was passed and now police are being forced to be more transparent about this kind of stuff, where they spend their money and what sort of tools they use, although they are, of course, being very slow and reluctant to comply. We will now go to the other side of the country, to America's other megacity, Los Angeles, where the LAPD is being directed to collect social media information of every civilian they interview, regardless of whether they've been arrested or accused of anything or not. This includes Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and other social media accounts. The practice began in 2015. The interview cards also ask interviewees for their social security number, and they say that it must be provided under federal law, but that's actually not true. The author talked to a lawyer who was like, I've never heard of any law saying that you have to give the police your social security number. The article also notes that the LAPD has requested to spend an additional $73,000 in 2021 on a company called Media Sonar, which is a surveillance media software company. We will now jump over to Canada, where Canada is preparing to launch a digital ID program. The program will launch later this year and will work via, from what I understand, a completely independent app. It's not going to like piggyback off Apple's wallet or anything like that. It's going to be totally unique. The government is claiming that this is actually going to help privacy. For example, if you are over 18 and you go to buy alcohol and you get carded, this app will allow you to say, I am over 18 without actually disclosing your exact date of birth. So that is pretty cool. It will allegedly be stored locally and will not submit any analytics. The government won't know how many times you've opened it, where you've opened it, when you've used it, anything like that. If all of that is true, I would say that's pretty cool. But again, we just talked about mission creep. I think it's only a matter of time before this starts rolling out and getting used for other purposes. Our next story is from the UK, and it's a study that has found growing government use of sensitive data to, quote, nudge behavior. I'm going to quote the article here. National and local governments have turned to targeted advertisements on search engines and social media platforms to try to nudge the behavior of a country at large. The article talks about how right now the government is using this for good things. For example, to encourage you to buy better insulation for your home. There is always a risk of this stuff. For example, this has happened here in the US too. There's a great book that I totally recommend called The Rise of Big Data Policing. I believe it's by Andrew. Ferguson, and it tells many, many stories of police departments around the U.S. who have used AI to identify potential criminals, and then they'll go to their door and kind of like try to encourage them to not become criminals. On its face, it sounds like a good thing. The problem is that it can often put people on lists for ridiculous things. In the book, for example, there's one story about a guy who got a visit from authorities because he was at risk for gun violence because a year ago, his friend had committed suicide via gunshot. Why would you put this guy on a list? 
the AI just said, well, there was a gun-related crime in this person's social vicinity, therefore he's more at risk. Kind of as with all technologies, this stuff can be used for good, but it can also be used for not good. Again, it's the slippery slope, it's the mission creep. This next story, these are two stories that I think were part of the same statement, but I was unable to confirm that, but I'm pretty sure they are, so I'm gonna treat them as part of the same statement. The UK government came out with a statement about encryption recently. These two articles covered it in two different ways. The first article says UK.gov is launching an anti-Facebook encryption push. That basically says it all. The UK government is openly launching an anti-encryption campaign because Facebook has said that they are very, very soon going to start making end-to-end encryption the default on all of their platforms. I know they've been saying that forever, but apparently they're like, for real, for real this time. The UK government is spending taxpayer money, by the way, to launch an ad campaign that says, no, this is really, really bad. Think of the children. The next story is also pretty self-explanatory. It says UK government backs Apple and wants to scan encrypted messages for CSAM. This article is definitely a little bit more editorial than the first one. They did have a really good line that I'm going to quote. They said, UK Home Secretary Priti Patel, I probably screwed that up, sorry, repeats the government's oft-expressed objection to -to end-to-end encrypted messaging and attempts to imply that it is a new plan rather than something that has been used for many years by services like iMessage, FaceTime, WhatsApp, Telegram, and of course, Signal. In addition, the UK is now offering 85,000 euros to anyone who can help them circumvent end-to-end encryption. The takeaway here is if you live in the UK, your government is putting the anti-encryption push into the express lane. Go ahead and contact your politicians, raise awareness, and let people know. We are now going to go to another English-speaking country, New Zealand, who will be required to have vaccine passports by Christmas. Fortunately, these will only be required for international travel. There are concerns about it eventually being used domestically. The whole theme of this week is mission creep. We're now going to go to a story of people in glass houses throwing stones, where the German government finally admits they have been buying Pegasus software. Sources say that the German version of Pegasus actually has certain features disabled so they can comply with privacy laws. The reason I said this is people throwing stones is because the German government has also condemned the Apple CSAM scanning stuff. Kind of getting some conflicting messages here from you guys. And our last political story comes from an advanced persistent threat group, which means a nation state hacker called Bladehawk. I was not able to figure out what nation state these are from, but all the articles I read said that this is an APT. They have been spying on the Kurdish ethnic group using fake Android apps. The campaign is using Facebook to spread. They are posing as tech savvy Kurdish activists and supporters endorsing the apps. So this is misinformation. They'll have someone go on there and be like, I'll be honest, I don't know what issues they're fighting for, but you know, whatever issues they're fighting for. And I use this app to stay informed. And so people will go download it. The apps were downloaded 1,481 times and they were posing as news apps. Once the app was downloaded, the Trojans embedded had the ability to take screenshots and photos, extract and send files, delete content, record audio and monitor phone calls, copy or send SMS messages, scan the contacts list, access location data, steal Facebook login credentials so it can spread more and other things. The moral here, always be careful what apps you download and if you actually need them. Let's move into FOSS news. Our first piece of news is great news. As of September this year, out of the top 50 games on Steam, 72% worked on Linux. This is just a reminder that Linux is really not as hard or intimidating as it may sometimes seem. They got a list of the games on here. Counter-Strike, Global Offensive, Dota 2, PUBG, Apex Legends, Destiny 2, Grand Theft Auto 5, Team Fortress 2, Rainbow Six Siege, Dead by Daylight, Rocket League, Witcher 3. There's a lot of names on here. Stardew Valley, No Man's Sky, 
my Gary's mod just so many games that I'm just like, I know that one, I know that one, I know that one, I know that one. And even out of all the games they found that didn't work in the top 50, the only reason they didn't work was anti-cheating DRM. Fall Guys works on Linux, Cyberpunk 2077 works on Linux, Fallout 4, Civilization 5. If you're still playing Civilization 5, you guys do know that 6 is out, right? And it's fantastic. Anyways, if you're a gamer, your reasons not to use Linux are just shrinking day by day. Our next FOSS story comes from Matrix, who has given a pre-disclosure warning. This Monday, there will be an upcoming critical fix for several popular Matrix clients. So far, they have been very tight-lipped on the details, of course. They do say the good news is there is no evidence that these have been exploited in the wild. This coming week, make sure if you use Matrix to check your updates and make sure your clients are getting those updates. Our next story, Calyx OS is now available for the Pixel 5a. The title pretty much says it all. It's based on Android 11, and if you have a 5a, or you're thinking about Calyx, but you want to get like the latest and greatest, it is now available on 5A. Go for it. Firefox 92.0 is out. It says it comes with better HTTPS upgrade support, as well as numerous other security updates. And of course, a whole ton of features and stuff. Definitely read the page if you want the full list. If you're a Firefox user, be sure to check that out. And KeyPass 2.4.9 has been released. The two password managers that we recommend are Bitwarden and KeyPass. If you're a KeyPass user, keep an eye out for this update because if you use a fork like XE, for example, this will probably be rolling out to you very shortly. Finally, let's move into our Misfits section. Our evil ransomware is back, baby. For those who missed it, our evil is a ransomware group who is behind famous attacks like the JBS meatpacking attack, the Kasia attack. In July, they shut down and turned over the Kasia decryption key. A lot of experts speculated that this was a PR move. Just before this happened, US President Biden had, I believe, gone to Russia. At very least, I know whether it was in person or not. He had talked to Vladimir Putin, the president of Russia. They had kind of agreed to work together to crack down on cybercrime and all that. So a lot of experts speculated that the Kremlin got in touch with our evil and was like, hey, just shut down for a little bit. Let's show them we're serious. They also suspected that our evil would just rebrand and come back. However, to everyone's surprise, on September 7th, our evil just came back. No rebrand, same name. They just booted everything back up. They reset the clocks for all their existing ransomware victims, and they're still demanding payment. They also seem to have a new victim as of September 9th. They had just uploaded a brand new leak. Our next story says that IoT attacks have skyrocketed and doubled in the last six months for a total of 1.5 billion attacks, with the goals being to steal data, mine cryptocurrency, or build botnets. This is just a reminder that IoT stuff is still risky. It is becoming more and more prevalent. I'm not here to be the get off my lawn old guy saying don't get IoT stuff, but if you do, be aware of it. Know that you need to change the default logins. You need to keep them updated. You need to get devices that actually get updates from the manufacturer and isolate them on their own VLAN or guest Wi-Fi. Our next story says deepfakes replace women on sextortion calls. This is just interesting. Previously in the past, sextortion criminals have had to team up with real women and trick men men into getting on phone calls and recording the phone calls where they have these like sexy conversations. And now they say, you know, we recorded that either pay us or we're going to send it to everybody. AI and deep fakes have now come far enough along that they don't need women anymore. They tell a couple stories about men who had video chats with women. These weren't even real women. They were AI. It's come really far. Technology moves really, really fast, guys. And that's one reason we need to like be on top of this stuff and be on our A game. And our last story this week, stolen credentials led to data theft at the United Nations. So back in April, threat actors breached Umoja, the UN's project management software. And they did this by using stolen credentials from a completely separate data breach. This is just a reminder here that unique, strong passwords matter. Do not reuse your passwords. Try to make them as strong as you can so they are less likely to get cracked and use two-factor wherever it is available. According to the article, it was available on Umoja. That way, even if your password does get cracked, that still greatly reduces the chance of entry. 
That was all of our news for this week. As always, we will keep you updated if we learn anything more. I mentioned at the beginning of the show that Surveillance Report is listener-supported, and I mentioned our Proton affiliate links, and I hope that I have laid out a convincing case for you for why Proton is still a trustworthy company and why you should still use them. We want to thank you again for listening to Surveillance Report, and we are happy to know that you are trying to stay safe out there. The final thing we want to ask of you, share the podcast around. Make sure you're subscribed. If you're on a platform that allows for a rating like Apple Podcasts or YouTube with a little thumbs-up icon, be sure that you're giving us a rating. We are trying to reach as many people as possible, and when you do things like that, that tells the algorithms that this is interesting content that people want to know about and spreads the word. Thank you again for listening, and we will see you next week.